Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you about something I have coming up with Idiom Brewing Company. On October 2nd, we will be releasing the first two beers in our new Fruited Sour series named Juggling Act. One of those two beers is also a collaboration with Full Tilt Brewing out of Baltimore, and that one is called Juggling Jams. Uh, we're having a, a, a release event on the 2nd of October where we're giving away some glassware from Huffy Glass. Uh, there will be a DJ playing from 12 to 4. There will be those beers available in Idiom's brand new slushy machine, and there will be a couple other little surprises. So. Go on to uh, my Facebook page or on to Idiom's Facebook page to get all the details about the event. I uh, hope to see everyone there. Let's talk to Inez. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today I'm joined by Inez Ribastello. I got it. Yes. <laughs> From Tarboro Brewing Company. And I learned that I need to say that slowly because if I try to say it at even at a normal pace, it completely ties my tongue into a knot. Uh, so thank you for joining me, Inez. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. So we actually, we have multiple things we want to talk about. Um, one, we want to talk about your brewery. Uh, two, you have a book that it comes out on the 11th, right? Yes, day okay. after tomorrow. Um, so which what which which topic do you want to start on? Do you want to start with the book or stop with start with Tarboro? No, let's start with Tarboro. Okay. <laughs> so you uh, I I guess the the path you took into uh opening a brewery was through hospitality, correct? Correct. So were you always working in hospitality or was there a life before working in the hospitality industry? I have only known hospitality. Um, even in high school, my, I worked at Golden Corral. and uh, <laughs> I've never been to a Golden Corral. Oh, you have really missed out. <laughs> we have one in Frederick. At least I think it's still open. I know at one time we had one, uh, but I've, I've never been to one. Yeah. Although I've never been told that I'm missing out by not having been to one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't think they'd make it through COVID, you know, since they're mostly buffet. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they've changed, what they, if they've changed, but um, certainly not a great place to, to be for, for the pandemic. I've done a lot of things, but I've actually never worked at a restaurant or really any type of hospitality job. Okay, so no bartending, tap room. Nope. Yeah. I feel like I'm, it's for the best. I don't know <laughs> if I would be the best person to to wait on or bartend to because I, I don't have a lot of patience. And I feel like with, uh, with the way people act, you need a lot of patience. Yes, one zillion percent. Correct. All right. So you got your start at uh, Golden Corral. Yes. <laughs> um, so, and you, you also did a lot in wine, correct? I did. I did. I, um, I worked in restaurants and bars all through college and um, 
realized uh, the summer after my sophomore year that I wanted to pursue a career in cooking. And so I moved to New York to go to culinary school, um, which was Monday through Friday, eight to five. Um, And within a week of being in school, I found myself in a small wine store um, looking at all the different wines and um, eventually was asked by the manager, did I want to start working there? So I started working um, at, at a retail wine store Monday through Friday from 5.15 to close right after, you know, my full day of culinary and um, realized that I like to drink more than I like to cook. Um, and it was about this time that, you know, I was reading that that one could make a career in wine, which coming from small rural Eastern North Carolina, no one had ever told me that probably because they didn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. So background, um, as a sommelier, um, and, uh, yeah. So, so wine was kind of my first love for, for, for beverage. So did you go and do you have a, um, certification or. do? I, have you watched that movie on Netflix? Psalm. I think it's Netflix that has it, right? Yeah. That yeah, made me Psalm. think it's next to impossible to. <laughs> yeah. I, I have the advanced, which is the third level, but okay. I have successfully failed the masters five times. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're persistent. Yeah. Well, you know, at, at one point I just said, I can't afford to do this anymore. So yeah. it's, uh, it's an expensive endeavor. Yeah. Like watching that, I, I, it made me wonder how anyone ever possibly gets to the master level. Yeah. I, um, I passed the advanced on my fourth time and then was able to sit for the masters. And of the five times that I took it, I only passed theory. Um, so did, uh, did that help you in your career at all? And I guess, cause and before you got into brewing, you were working at high end restaurants. So I'm assuming that that's what helped you get those positions or were you in those even when you were pursuing I, it? Yeah. So I was at windows on the world before I took my first sommelier class, um, I was an assistant seller master, which translates to minimum wage paid box mover. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it sounds a lot uh, more glorious than it actually was, um, but I did love that job. And um, through working at Windows, was able to take different wine classes. Um, but it wasn't until after I, um, you know, moved up to beverage manager that I that I sat for the first. Um, introductory course for the quartermaster sommeliers and you know my husband will say if you're working for corporate groups who will pay for the program um and and possibly give you a raise once you get the title great but when you're working for yourself it does absolutely nothing for you yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> not going to start paying yourself more for... right i wasn't getting a raise yeah. <laughs> if i pass so and i i mean i I can't really talk from experience at all because I, I don't uh, drink wine or follow the wine world at all. But I'm guessing like even if you open a winery and you advertise that you're a master sommelier, like do people care? Like I don't like would that even equate to more business? Yeah, I don't know. Like the, the old guard, certainly in Europe, um, 
and and to a lesser extent California and the Pacific Northwest, the, the wineries are that they have no um, reason to go and pursue their master sommelier program. What I've seen a lot of is, however, once master sommeliers um, get get their title, that they go start a winery. So there are quite a few masters who have started winery. Greg Harrington in, in Walla Walla and um, oh gosh, there are quite a few. But um, it's normally sommeliers turn winemakers, not winemakers who decide to sit for this exam. Okay. Um, what was Windows in the World a Michelin star restaurant? It was, was not. Okay. Um, I don't I, even know. The only reason Michelin. I ask is because I just recently took the time to learn what that was. And because we, my wife and I were watching, um, master chef legends and like they, uh, so they kept like every special guest they had on, they talked about how many Michelin stars that they had one or with the restaurants and stuff. So I finally now just learned what a Michelin star was and why a tire company even developed. Right. on that I'm looking it up. Like, I don't even know if, um, Michelin had, um, put in stars at that time. I think it was later, like maybe, um, after 2001. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was, yeah, what the thing I watched on that didn't really mention anything about timelines of when or what just, basically explain like it, it was really ingenious of them uh the michelin brothers who started a tire company came up with the <laughs> idea if we have a book telling people great places to go and stay they'll drive more so they'll need to buy more tires <laughs> i mean yeah absolutely brilliant right <laughs> um so you were working there when um, not on nine eleven. Not actually there. There, I assume. Uh, or were right. you in the building? I was not okay. in the building. I um was home for my sister's wedding. I had uh, flown back to North Carolina to be the maid of honor in her wedding on September eighth, and I was flying back to New. My flight was scheduled to fly back on on Wednesday, September twelfth. How thankful were you of your? sister's wedding timing then yeah you know i um i definitely am am thankful for that i um at the time um i don't remember feeling much gratitude for anything but you know much later it is um you know how the universe works is pretty mysterious the this week the episode i'm releasing i recorded two days ago uh, the guy who started the brewery, he was supposed to be on the flight that uh, went into the Pentagon. Oh, but wow. the company he worked for didn't like, didn't have a huge budget. So his boss had him change his flight from a direct flight out of D.C., the one that crashed, to a Southwest flight that had multiple connections out of BWI. So he said like leading up to it, he was cursing it the whole time because he was going to have this awful flight. So he was he was actually in the air when the flight he was supposed to be on wrecked into the Pentagon. Wow. That's, you know, it's a wild story. Yeah. So it's so I have I have two 
two consecutive brewery episodes where there's a strong connection to 9-11. Uh, so is that, it was, it was that, that, um, you, when you decided to get out of, um, wine and at being in New York, right. Or were you still there for a while? I, I did stay. I, I took a job opening up, um, um, a restaurant in a hotel in Times Square as their wine oh. director. And, um, then, you know, my husband who was then my fiance, he also had worked at windows on the world. And so we had both lost our jobs, um, along with, you know, countless number of friends and just our, um, whole kind of desire to, um, to, to keep on keeping on. Um, and we, took the summer off to go see my family in Tarboro who they were desperate for us to, to get home and leave the city. And we were going to go work harvest in um, France for the fall. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll take the summer off and go spend time with my parents in, in Tarboro. And um, a woman called us and said she was trying to sell her restaurant and she'd heard we were restaurateurs and, um, you know, I said, we don't have any money. <laughs> we're we're going to go back to New York as soon as we get back from France. But um, my dad overheard the conversation and went and partnered with another gentleman. And they bought this existing kind of luncheonette place, um, which uh, is called On the Square. And uh, that will turn 19 years old next month. And so really, um, Chris, while we both love to drink beer, we were um, full on like wine and, and food. Um, it wasn't until much later in 2008 when we purchased a 10,000 square foot building down the street from our restaurant. And the idea was that we were going to move the restaurant there because it had outgrown the existing space. But then, you know, the economy tanked and no one wanted to invest in a restaurant period, much less one in rural eastern North Carolina. And um, I'm not sure how many brewers from North Carolina you've had on your episodes, but I don't um, think actually I don't think any yet. Oh, really? I, okay. Yeah, I will be soon though because I'm going to go to um, Durham to a Durham. Fe- to oh, a festival at Barrel Culture. Okay, great. Um, so great. I'll definitely have them on, and then there's also there's some there's a, there's a long list of breweries um, on my list in North Carolina that I want to talk to. I just haven't had any on, any on yet. Well, please come see us. Um, so the, easily the most famous brewery in Eastern North Carolina, if not in the whole state is duck rabbit. Um, and they are about 20 minutes from Tarboro and you know, they're, they're like legendary for their milk stout. And so, um, we had been watching what they were doing and then mother earth had opened up in, in Kinston a little close by and like, wow, you know, breweries are real game changers for small towns. And, um, while we love to drink beer, we had never brewed, but, um, one of my dear friends from childhood was, um, the director of quality assurance at yards brewing in Philadelphia. And so he was home at Christmas one time and we showed him the, the space and he's like, gosh, that this is made for a brewery. 
And I was like, well, let's do it. You know, we can't do it without you. And he said, yeah, you know, raise the money and I'll, I'll come and, and do it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it took us many, many years. Um, but we were able to, um, A, get a grant through the state of North Carolina, a $200,000 um, Main Street development grant, which was based on job creation, building improvements, and double the investment. And then we, in in a little less than three years, were able to raise $600,000 in addition to that. And what it did was it took this really cool and charming yet dilapidated old Chevy dealership in downtown Tarboro. We were able to um, restore it, buy the equipment, you know, get basically the back of the house, the, the, um, the production area ready. Um, but by the time you know, February, 2016 rolled around, we'd run out of money and had no tap room. So we went right back to the drawing board and was able, I was able to raise about $250,000 more in capital to get the tap room open and, you know, working, working capital. Um, And so that we, we always say we celebrate two birthdays. February of 2016 is when we like released our first beer for wholesale and June of 2016 is when we opened the tap room. So we just um, turned five times two this past <laughs> February and June. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of, and then I switched over from the restaurant to the brewery immediately as soon as we got the doors open. But you, you still own the restaurant also? Yes. And um, a year after opening the brewery, we opened up a satellite uh, brew pub about 30 minutes away that has like a small three barrel system where we serve tacos and nachos and chips. Um, so it's just another outlet for our beers. Um, the original tap room where we are in Tarboro, it is um, a 20 barrel system and we just do food trucks. Like we don't mess with the food, but um, we do love our little three barrel spot in Rocky Mount. Um. Let's take a real quick sponsor break, um, and then I got a whole bunch of questions about Tarbo Tarboro. I don't. Know, like, my tongue hates that word. Well, if, um, you're, if you're from Tarbur, like, like maybe this and, and maybe that's what I need to do because Tar-Burr. I I grew up I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, and that was it's one of the things they always talk about Pittsburgh ease. It's because it's lazy talking, like where there's a lot of just syllables removed and so maybe i'm trying to say the whole word when my upbringing doesn't allow me to (laughs) Uh, so we will be right back uncapped is brought to you by one of frederick's original maryland craft beer destinations located off of urbana pike featuring a warm inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, 
are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So I don't know the timeline of craft beer in North Carolina at all. Had it at that point taken off yet? So it's very interesting. Um, when we wrote the business plan in 2013, there were 75-ish breweries in the whole state. When we got our doors open, there were 220. Okay. So, so it just flipped it. And, and like I mentioned Duck Rabbit because we we built our business model very similarly to theirs, which was a wholesale base because we didn't expect to have like um, foot traffic like you would in Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte. And it was so competitive when we had, you know, had our first kegs, like, you know, going into Raleigh and saying we're local. They're like, you're not that local. We've got <laughs> 35 wineries in Raleigh, you know? And um, so, uh, some some might say it was saturated, you know, I don't know. I I do know that it definitely pushed us to get that satellite spot open. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got that open quickly, like March of <laughs> 17. <laughs> so yeah. Is there is there more foot traffic in Tarboro now, or is it still kind of a and I guess it probably uh brewery tourism brings more people yeah. to you now that that's a very much a, a, a thing. Yeah. We, you know, there will be a ceiling in our tap room. We, we haven't yet, we haven't yet reached it, but you know, our town is less than 11,000 people. And so, um, while we have the, the community has been incredibly loyal and, and, and patronizes the brewery in, in, in such a special way, we do rely on, out of town traffic. So Tarboro is in between almost equidistance. Well, in between Raleigh and the outer banks. And so the outer banks is a big territory for us. Okay. Um, and you know, we have invested in the past two years, actually right before COVID, um, getting the signs on the exits, you know, like the interstate signs, the stop off and get your beer. Right. And so that's been really helpful. Um, and of course we have a really strong guild. Our North Carolina Brewers Guild is top notch. Um, and obviously we do a lot of events pre COVID. We did tons. Um, but we're really active in, in using the space for, for a, a, a wealth of different events. You know, we did, um, we did an event with the, um, Episcopal church and the, um, drug local drugstore where everybody that came in and got their vaccine got a free pint of beer you know um so uh, we've done things where you know children's camps come in we have a big chalkboard wall and they've used the space during the summer for like a week of camp um we've done teen pregnancy workshops in the space i mean you name it we have used the space for like bettering um, our community and a ton of education events as well so the um it looks like the 
the Google Street View photo is very old. Um, but it is is that whole like it it, it looks like where they probably put uh, cars on display yes. in that is that all like outdoor seating right yes. there? Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if you can see, but there are two doors under the portico that when they open. That's the word I was could, looking for. <laughs> you can drive a car through. And so the tap room was also the showroom. That's okay. So there were cars on display in and outside. And then the production part of it in the back is where they did like mechanic, you know, tune-ups. Um, you, you said it, it was a 20-barrel brew house. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how large of a tap room do you have? Uh, tap rooms, probably about 3,500 square feet and maybe an extra 800 with the portico. Where, um, over the last year did, I don't, I don't know how, what, how it was in North Carolina. Were you able to stay open through everything or did they, did they have indoor shutdown and just outdoor or how did you have to operate? So from March 15th to I think it was May 28th, we were shut down completely um, for for indoor anything. You know, we were not considered essential. And so we did growler sales. And, um, you know, of course, I'm sure a lot of people have the same story. We went into COVID with more draft beer than we'd ever had. Yeah. And draft died, right? Like the day COVID hit because bars were not considered essential. You know, the grocery stores that could sell beer while you were walking around ixnayed that and so there was no way to sell draft except in your tap room so we pivoted a little bit we did some growler specials but then we also um canned a lot of beers with just kind of generic labels from keg because we own our own canning line and couldn't sell those wholesale obviously not that wholesale was up so it didn't matter but um we would sell those to our customers who are you know drink it fresh drink it now um, okay. but yeah, the, at, at, we were allowed to come back open in May 29th, whatever at a limited capacity. Okay. Um, so, so those co- few months you, it was only to go sales mm-hmm. and merchandise. They, um, did, did the, I mean, you had mentioned the support of the community. They rally behind and, uh, do their part in drinking as much as possible. Uh, you know, it's so funny, Chris. I mean, um, we're we're like, I guess, a couple of the few people who would open up a brewery in a Bible Belt town town where, uh, you know, a lot of people think drinking is a sin. Um, but our our beer drinkers came through in a big way, and then the ones who didn't drink beer were buying gift certificates, merchandise. You know, that's just awesome. Buying, finding people who drank beer and giving it as gifts. It was really amazing. <laughs> so have you turned your back completely on wine now, or are you still, are you all beer now? Or do you, do you still have a passion for wine? Um, I love wine. I always love wine. I, um, do not, um, sell wine anymore at all. I, um, I drink it, <laughs> but I'm almost, uh, exclusively focused on beer, um, right now. Um, you know, just in this world where I am trying to, um, you know, on the square when we started it in 2002, yes, it was a startup. Um, but it was, you know, with the 
my husband and I were invested in it. And then my dad and, and a business partner who we eventually bought out and, you know, running that was, it was um, easier for me, I guess, because I, my background had been restaurants and having this now, which has 16 investors and is such a big scale and, and is, is a new challenge to me. And I'm pretty devoted to beer and like what that's gonna, um, what that's going to look like going forward. And I meant to say earlier, uh, it seemed like, I guess your dad was just going to do whatever it took to get you out of New York. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> he, was. <laughs> he didn't want me going in the first place and he was ready for me to come back. <laughs> yeah, how, how big of a check do I need? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's, uh, so how, how was the restaurant able to, operate then was it the same thing was were restaurants to go only for a while or so they were to go only um and our restaurant has a small wine store attached to it and wine sales went through the roof when COVID hit I mean it was the opposite of beer I don't know if that's because people thought of wine as less less calories I don't know um but the you know, when we applied for our restaurant relief um, package, the brewery was able to get a, a, a good sum to help us recover. But the amount for the restaurant was was small just because we didn't lose that much money. You know, the to-go sales, Tarboro, everybody was shelter in place. So they're all buying to-go food. Yeah. You know, so it, the, the, the restaurant fared much better than the brewery. Was that uh, statewide that beer sales declined? Um, I would guess yes. You know, I haven't had a lot of conversations okay. with people, but because I know in Maryland, um, they actually went way up. Oh wow! So like, <clears throat> it became more expensive for breweries to operate because uh, okay. they didn't have the high profit tap room sales. Uh, mm -hmm. So a lot of re like um, profits a lot of places were flat or just up a little bit, but revenue and production skyrocketed at a lot of places. Gotcha. But in, well, I, I heard uh, grocery store beer sales were up. See, we don't allow that here. Uh, okay. So, well, I think, okay. I think there may be a couple grocery stores throughout the state that allow it. Um, but both breweries and at beer stores, beer sales were up. But in Maryland, they started allowing breweries to deliver to houses and like had all kinds of um, emergency uh, uh, bills and stuff that they put into place to help uh, breweries operate during the time. Gotcha. Yeah, our bottle shops were not considered essential, so they were not open. Oh, ours never closed. Okay. <laughs> in in Maryland, uh, any type of alcohol seemed to be considered very much essential. <laughs> Way to go, Maryland! <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm I'm surprised because uh, North Carolina is always talked about as like one of the number one beer uh, places in the country. That they you'd think that the legislature would be more friendly towards. Um allowing breweries to operate and through well that. they they did let us open when restaurants opened and, and did not put us in the same category as bars 
Okay. So that was that was a big a big step for us where the legislature really, you know, because we we do have a great relationship with um with the legislature. So that was a big thing. Yeah, I I have to imagine the craft beer industry brings a lot of added tourism dollars to mm-hmm. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what um what types of beers does Tarboro focus on? So Franklin, when we first started, um, we opened up with two English ales and two Belgian style ales. Um, since then it, you know, in five years, almost six years, it's taken, um, it's taken off our, our, our most popular beer is a German light lager called sexy canoe. And it's a 3.7% all malt, no corn. Um, it was made because we had quite a few people in Tarboro say they wouldn't come because we didn't have Bud Light. And so <laughs> I don't know if you've heard Seems- the joke, what's the difference between drinking Bud Light and having sex in a canoe? Um, <laughs> yes. <I have. laughs> so we have a craft canoe beer, which we call sexy canoe. And it that's is funny. <laughs> unbelievably popular. Um, we sell it at East Carolina. So that, that's your, I want a beer that tastes like beer, beer. Yes, exactly. And people love it. I, I love it. It's a really good tasting beer. And, um, yeah, so that's probably our number one. And then our second, which is really close to it, is called Seed Spitter. And it's a salted watermelon gosa that uh, we brew with 1,300 pounds of fresh watermelon. We cut up puree with an, an immersion blender, dump it into the fermenter. There's no filtration. And we add a little salt at the end. And I call that my three B beer, beach boat and breakfast. <laughs> so, I uh, absolutely love watermelon gozas. That's such a refreshing, great beer. Stop. Shave. Um, We have a beer fridge. So we have our fridge for our food and then we have a fridge for our beer. Um, (laughs) But that's the seed spitter. Okay. That's a cool Um, label. Yeah. We just actually rebranded it. And so um, we're very proud of this beer. Do you do um, a lot of one-offs or do you mainly just have your core beers and uh, stick to those? So the beauty of having that three barrel system in Rocky Mount is that we do experimental beers there. Okay. And if they take off, then we scale them on the 20 barrel system. Yeah, because so, 20 barrels kind of limits you to right. being too adventurous. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, and we do, since we've opened, we've also bought a 10 barrel fermenter. So that's, that's there too. So, you know, but yeah, we, um, we make sure, um, that it's, you know, I guess R and D, right? Like making sure the beer is going to be something that we're proud of and that sells because they're two different things. Right. (laughs) And I, I'm, I'm going to guess from the way you've described Tarboro, um, it's not necessarily uh, your the people coming to you aren't looking for hazy IPAs and fruited sours or uh, the the more popular in the craft beer world um, probably aren't as popular where you are or. 
Yeah, you know, it depends. I, I will say that the, the beer drinking crowd in Tarboro, the regulars, they're pretty sophisticated in okay. what they like. Um, but in terms of the whole, right, like you, that, they're not coming in asking for, you know, one of the beers that we make is a rye IPA. That's one of the English styles. And while we sell the heck out of it wholesale, um, you know, it's not like somebody's coming in the tap room saying, let me get, do you have a rye IPA? <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, you know, and I feel this way about, about what happened with us in 2002 when we opened up our restaurant and people came in and said, let me have a glass of white Zinfandel. And we didn't serve white Zinfandel. So I'd give them a, a glass of off dry Riesling the next thing you know, they're asking for an Austrian Riesling. The next thing you know, they're they're doing an Italian white. And and I feel like we have the luxury of doing that in Tarboro too, where people come in. You know, we are small, and they say, "I like I like a sexy canoe." Right? There are plenty of people who have come. We've gotten them in the door because of the sexy canoe, but now are drinking our best bitter. You know, just because of the I mean, I will say I'm so proud of the people that we employ um, who are passionate about beer and yet very non-condescending, non-snobbish, you know, excited about taking people to the next level. Do They do a good job of educating without yeah. making you feel stupid that you... Right, right. Because the, the bottom line is we like what we like. Which is some what... a lot of times talked about as a barrier into introducing more people to craft beer because of the pretentiousness of some some people. Like if you don't know about it, like, then you're not worth right. being taught or something. It's just... That I guess that goes back to, for me, hospitality. Your job is not to make somebody feel bad for what they like to drink or eat, right? Like, I like um, Lucy in disguise. That's oh, cool. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. That's, my uh, uh, my dog's name is Lucy after that song. <laughs> so my six-year-old tells everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of times when people ask her what her dog's name is, she'll she'll say her name is Lucy. No, her, her name is Lucy in the skies with diamonds, but we just call her Lucy. <laughs> but her full name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. Do you, is it the same base? Blender vice and then just fruited differently. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we've had a really that's that's a prime example of a beer that we made at TBC West first last summer. We made both the passion fruit and the blood orange. The blood orange sold two to one, but they both sold really well. So we came and did. Um, I think we did a twenty-eight barrel batch of the Berliner Weiss of the base Berliner Weiss and then took six barrels into passion fruit and then the 22 left into blood orange and wouldn't you know it this summer passion fruit beat blood orange <laughs> whatever you do it's gonna not be the same that's funny I, I like how you're doing that with sexy canoe too yeah that there aren't sexy. so I um I actually I I uh, 
I had two jammed pack of a day today, so I haven't even gotten to try it yet, and I wasn't there for the canning. But I did a collaboration beer with a brewery um, where we brewed a Pilsner, and it's it has pineapple and mango in it. Yum. And so many people like turn their noses at fruited lagers, but like I think as long as it's done, like not overdone, like it's yeah. just as good as and refreshing as uh, a traditional lager. So it, I like that you're doing that. That's cool. Thank you. I also like to use a silhouette of someone with a dad bod for <laughs> that that's actually a silhouette of actually one of our best customers <laughs> <laughs> that's even better <laughs> that's hilarious how honored does he feel he he does he loves it he's also <laughs> he owns the t-shirt um store around the corner from the brewery and he does all of our merchandising okay we're we're huge fans of his and um he's just a great guy that's awesome. All right, let's take um one more quick sponsor break. Um I think there may be a couple more things to wrap up about Tarboro and then we'll talk about uh life after windows. Uh, okay. So we will good. be right back. I buy my beer at District East in downtown Frederick, Maryland. They have an amazing selection of local and hard-to-find beers, and I love the option of making my own mix-and-match custom six-pack. District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks, they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. So do you have uh, plans for any other satellite tap rooms or are uh, you where yes. you're at? You want to? Okay, awesome. Yeah, and, yeah. So we're, um, we, we fortunately didn't move as quickly as we wanted to before covid but um, we have a spot that we hope, I hope I'll get our board on board to, to <laughs> vote on. Um, just because in North Carolina, you can have three satellite or three breweries, per, three tap rooms per TTB license. Okay. And we have a separate TTB license for this um, satellite spot. So we could potentially have six spaces um, and 
I don't know if it's because I just have an affinity for small towns that need a draw or because I am glutton for punishment. <laughs> but, you know, the intrigue of going into these smaller areas, it just makes so much sense to me. A, it's so much less expensive to operate. Yeah. Um, and B, like you have um, such opportunity to really shift the landscape of the economy and, and, and of what, you know, what the community has around them. So anyway, we'll see what happens. I, um, I was just talking to a brewery owner last weekend who was also like, he was talking about how, um, even though there are more and more breweries opening up constantly, um, there's uh, beer consumption actually went down last year. Uh, a lot of that's attributed to like macro breweries were down. So that obviously sways those figures a lot more than craft breweries, but it's, it's just that so many of the breweries opening now are those little, just like they're more of the town pub, the, the small brewery in a small town that can operate at a very small scale and be profitable uh, because of where they're located and uh, the 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 amount that they have to make and all that those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like that is a good business model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, and does... you know... okay. oh, go ahead. Well, you know, for for Tarver Brewing Company, we have one bartender at a time, so that that labor cost is so so small yeah i mean maybe one day we'll be big enough where we need need two people behind the bar but (laughs) i feel like people in breweries the the mindset is so different from anywhere else you know people are chill when they come into a brewery they go in they order a pint you know they see a bunch of people they're okay to wait it's like a very different customer than it is at a at a bar like a a where they serve liquor or, or certainly a restaurant now though, so eyeing up other small towns, do do you then are you able to operate under a, a name of that town, or w- is it still will it be Tarboro Brewing Company, Tap Room, or whatever in those different towns? So our idea is to scale the TBC West model, which is the three barrel system one with tacos. Okay. Just- because people do drink more when they have food to eat. And people love um, tacos and beer. They, and by they do. people, I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> um, and so the idea is to do TBC South, TBC East. Oh, TBC okay. North. Yeah, the um, tacos, tacos and beer, definitely a very solid. Uh, yeah. I, to me... That's second only to beer and uh, soft pretzels. Oh, yeah. And our, our bakery, um, we buy the soft pretzels from them and serve at both tap rooms. Um, and then they give us all their stale bread and we make a table, a Belgian style table beer with their bread as using it as the base malt. That is so cool. It's called a loaf story and (laughs) it's so cool because it tastes differently every time we brew it because sometimes there's more focaccia or sometimes there's more like um, 
breakfast bread. One time there was more um, ciabatta. Like, it's just really cool to see how yeah. different. Like, we've brewed it three times now. Has the mixture of beer ever turned, like, mixture of bread ever turned out so it wasn't good when it was finished? Or is it just different each time? So the, the focaccia one was really salty. So we had to blend in some base beer okay. that we had. Yeah. I, I'm going to send you a picture of the mash. It is the coolest thing. The loaves of bread floating around. It is. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I love that picture. Um, well, that'd be a, so there eventually there could just be, uh, TBCs just spotted across North Carolina in every yeah, direction. That's the goal. <laughs> All right. So let's, um, oh, and do you, do you, do you distribute outside of North Carolina or is all your distribution in North Carolina? So we're in both Carolinas. We're in South and North Carolina. Okay. It's now, I guess we'll shift gears a little bit and talk about, I guess it's both the future and rewinding back to the past a little bit. You have a book coming out. Uh, I believe it will, like if you're listening to us now, it was last week it came out. In our timeline, it it comes out this weekend uh, called Life After Windows. And so what is... What is life after windows? So I actually have the only copy right here. Um, <laughs> there are supposedly a thousand coming to my doorstep by seven o'clock tonight that we will <laughs> sell this weekend. But it is a memoir that um, I have written journaling. Basically, you know, I've, I've journaled my entire life. And when I moved to New York, um, I continued that. And, um, you know, the, the beginning is, you know, being in New York for the first time. I, I had not uh, been north of the Mason-Dixon line until I turned 22 years old. And so um, being there, you know, living my best life with my dream job um, and just kind of like the, um, I, I think I use the word hedonistic at least three times in the book, but that whole lifestyle of running, you know, the largest beverage program in the United States and being so young and just, um, having, you know, literally, um, having the world. Um, and so that's like the beginning. And then it takes, um, you know, a very different, uh, approach on the day of nine 11. It's almost like bullet points of just these feelings of, of shock and, despair and, um, sadness. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you can tell this from just me speaking earlier, but in general, I'm a very, um, happy <laughs> person and, um, a lover of life. Um, but talking about that, those, um, couple years following nine 11, just being, um, devoid of, of laughter and, and numb. And, um, eventually, um, coming out of that and how I did that, how I, how I healed, um, from a life changing event that took, um, you know, my job and, and my, my work family, um, and coming home 
to the place where I grew up, to the place where I said I was never coming back to. <laughs> but dad found the money to start that <laughs> restaurant. He was, he was going to do it no matter what. Um, and um, creating my, my own business and um, having two children and um, how the community was such a, a great part of my healing. Um, and, uh, giving up the master sommelier path, you know, that's, that's, uh, at least a chapter. Um, and then finding the brewery, you know, like really for me, this is, um, has been the most challenging, uh, thing I've ever done, but it's also something that has, um, allowed me to find my voice, um, and, what that looked like for a 45 year old white woman in Eastern North Carolina, um, in terms of using my businesses for activism. And it, it, it literally goes up until, uh, 2021. So I've been writing it for 20 years and, and you can tell that when you get it. So I think it has, um, I'm very proud of it because I wanted to put this out there. I've wanted to put it out there many, many times and have, um, been too afraid that I would, um, not do it justice. Um, and I've finally gotten the nerve to actually, um, put it out in the world. And, um, while I'm very nervous, I'm also hopeful that, um, it will give people who have had, um, well, everyone has dealt with some type of pain or loss or grief, um, that it will in some way be healing or therapeutic to them as well. So when you say you'd been working on it for 20 years or so, is it that like you were actively writing it as a book or you mean that in that because you were journaling and that's what, what was used to write the book that you've been writing that whole time? Yeah, both. Okay. So, so I think it was about mm, eight or 10 years ago that I was like, I want to write this book and I've got, you know, I've got all the, the, the information there. It's in books and books. Yeah. You have the bones of it already. Right. right. So that's probably like, it, it was probably kind of a weird experience for you to, for you then to write it, how, like as you're going back and reading what you wrote at that time, almost it's almost like looking through the time to how like what you were like at that moment. Yeah, yeah, it is. I don't know if I'd yeah. like that. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I I am grateful for is the older I get, um, the memories become they, they fade and they become fuzzier and I don't ever want to like lose that. Some of those, those, um, times that, that were very special. And so to have those documented, um, I'm grateful. I know. I often find myself wondering, like, am I remembering something correctly or did it even happen that way or something like we'll need to double check with someone else that was there too. So it is, um, I n- have never journaled, but it would, I imagine it's probably, ve- it, it is really nice to have reference material to jog 
your memory as you get older. Cause I know I could definitely use that. <laughs> and, and for me, it's also therapeutic, you know, just to be able to say this was where I was in whatever year and, and, and I've evolved or, um, or learned from that. So, um, and I don't know if this is even possible, but removing the horrific event, what is the more enjoyable life living in fast paced, uh, New York doing what you considered your dream job or running a brewery in small town, North Carolina? You know, I think at 24 years old, the former and (laughs) the latter, (laughs) (laughs) which is definitely a completely probably 100% accurate because I'm I'm not that far behind you um, in the idea of anything fast paced right now. I don't like. (laughs) I'm very content with my small town brewery life and my family and, and very happy and uh, getting to, getting to go back to New York is, is just icing on the cake. So where will people um, be able to get the book? So um, I encourage everyone um, to ask their independent bookstores to order it and support small businesses, but it will be on major, major places. I'm not going to speak it on here, but you'll be able to get it on the big one. But um, if you'll just ask for life after windows and support your local small business, that would be amazing. And in this area, Curious Iguana is our. Yes. um, Curious Iguana in Frederick. Yeah. How do they they order some? I don't know. Oh, okay. How do you know about Curious Iguana in Frederick? Well, I just know you're in Frederick. Oh, okay. I know you, like you said it, like you had heard of. (laughs) Although I will say we stopped in Frederick on the way. My my husband's family lives in New York still, or his dad does. And I am in love with Frederick, Maryland. I think it's one of the most beautiful, charming, quaint. Is it a town or a city? Uh, it It is the second largest incorporated city in Maryland. Wow. So it, it is a city, but it's not large. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was like, Stephen, I want to come back there and stay. You should. It's amazing. Yeah. We have it. So in our tiny little city, I, I mean, I should know this, but we, we have a lot of breweries. Um, I, for some reason can never remember the exact number. It's like seven or eight. Um, and they're all great. Uh, but yeah, I encourage everyone to come to Frederick. I love Frederick. I, and what's funny is I was almost dragged to Frederick kicking and screaming, <laughs> thinking that this was some podunk hellhole that I would hate living in. And now I don't think I would ever want to live anywhere other than Frederick. That's amazing. Because we yeah, have, we're... we have everything like we're, we're close, like we're equal distance to DC and Baltimore. So if you need the the draw of, of a large city at some point you have both of those we have all the culture and everything that dc has to offer and baltimore does too uh but we have all of that right in frederick also we have amazing restaurants we have amazing breweries i'm just i want to be the ambassador for yeah. frederick everyone yeah. should come to frederick 
You're definitely <laughs> going to see me because I'm going to come and I'm going to reach out to Curious Iguana after we get off this call. Yeah, they um they're a great so we go there all the time. Um, my because my 11 year old never stops reading, so we're if we're not at the library, um, like every once in a while, there's a book she absolutely wants to buy. Then we go to Curious Iguana. That's awesome. But it's it's your typical small town like eclectic bookstore very cool but although they have um like when chelsea clinton did her book tour she was at uh the curious iguana signing copies and stuff so they do pull i think um david sedaris often comes to frederick um when he does his tours i don't know if he ever did anything he's a north carolinian yeah that, yeah that's why i figured it was safe i mean yeah. I, a lot yeah. of people have uh I'm, I'm a huge david sedaris fan oh, me too i i went to hear him uh a couple years ago in raleigh and i was like belted over in my seat oh guy. it's like I mean, going to see a stand-up comedian yeah. <laughs> he's so good he's so good everything and i remember reading naked at a really young age and being like I am obsessed and I will buy every book. And I, I love Amy Sedaris too. So I'm big fans. Yeah. The, um, there he'll be in Frederick. It's within the next few months. He always comes to the Weinberg and he's told the story a couple of times that he saw a ground dog for the first time in his life in Frederick, oh. <laughs> which I find weird. I feel like yeah. there's gotta be other places. Yeah. That you would see a groundhog, but <laughs> it was in Frederick that he saw his first groundhog. <laughs> I'm trying to think. He has a beach house in Emerald Isle, and it's such a funny name. Oh, I can only imagine. I'll, I'll email you. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. So that's available starting on um, September 11th. September 11th. It's called Life After Windows. Correct. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you have going on that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? I, you know, I think this is all I can handle right now. I'm not, <laughs> I feel like I'm not the most organized person. And now that this book launch has come into play, I feel ultra disorganized. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and, and, and just count on me for a trip to Frederick soon. My husband and my kids and I will come up and we'll say hi. You have to. I, I will I will give you a personal tour of all the finest breweries that Frederick has to offer. Can't wait. Um, Chris, thank you so much for having me. I really, oh, really have enjoyed talking to you. You're absolutely welcome. I loved hearing your story. And I, I want to say... I, I want to read your book and I will, but I'm going to be honest. I have a stack of at least six books <laughs> that I have also said that I was going to read yep. that I haven't yet. But I, I feel like um, it being 20 years and having recently talked to uh, not just you um, and then the gentleman I talked to earlier this week that were personally and intimately affected by 9-11. Like I live, I lived closer to DC on 9-11, but it's still like, it affected me, but it like, it was, it was short lived. Like there was a really 
like scary several hours because like on the news you were just reporting all like no one had any idea what was going on so Mm -hmm. like it just seemed like dc was just under attack and i lived right outside of dc then there were all these reports of stuff happening in pittsburgh and my dad was at work in the city and phones in the dc area didn't work that day you could not make a phone call so so in my little way of it affecting me but like i can just imagine for people who were personally affected so it's like it it's um for some reason like being the 20th anniversary and all the extra talk of it lately it's become maybe even more of a thing than it has been in previous years yeah so i i was talking to my she's one of my dearest friends and she's from um pennsylvania but she went to school at the university of maryland and her boyfriend who was you know they'd been dating for many many years he also went to university of maryland he was part of my beverage department and he was killed on september 11th and she and I, one of the silver linings of that day is that we met in person at his funeral. We'd talked before and have become just dear, dear friends. She's been to my wedding. She she came to my siblings' wedding. We've just grown very close. And we were FaceTiming Monday night. And I said, it just feels different this year. And she said, it really does. And I don't know why like 20 is just a number you know yeah, it shouldn't and, and maybe it's just the collective trauma over yeah. the last year and like yeah. it, everything feels much more now yeah yes absolutely and it was just it was comforting to hear her saying that to hear her say that too because you know i said maggie i just i don't know i am I'm just feeling differently about it. And she's like, yeah, me too. And I I think another, well, there's a whole generation of people now too, that weren't alive when it happened. Uh, Cause my, my wife had even been talking about that. Like how there's been the transition in schools of holding, like having the moment of silence. If it's a school day, to having chapters in history books now about it and then in some schools have an entire course on the history of 9-11 so like where it's this thing we lived through but now to tons and tons of kids they like they have no idea what it is if they haven't been taught it yet right 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 and that, that's kind of like my kids, you know, they know about it because of us, but, and, and they know deeply about it because of us, but, you know, the majority <laughs> of their, of their peer group, or it's, it's this day, like, it's kind of the equivalent of us hearing about President Kennedy's assassination, right? Like, yeah. if you were, if you were thinking, you know, clearly on 9-11, you can say where I was, who I was with, you know, that and that's how our parents would speak of the Kennedy assassination, or at least my parents. Yeah. You know? 
Um, and then there's this whole group who, who doesn't have that right now. Yeah. I mean, that is, my memory is atrocious and that is actually one, like I can remember vividly like whole chunks of that day. Like as Mm -hmm. like you found, I found out different things or like different things that happened throughout that day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's a good comparison like where the, there were these huge events that happened before we were born where like they're just something that happened you have no emotional connection to them so it's just mm-hmm. it's something you read about that happened it's a it's not tangible like if you've lived th- through it or were alive when it happened right so i encourage everyone to read uh life after windows and to stop in Tarboro on your way to uh the outer banks please do i wish i would have known a couple years ago i went to the outer banks for the first time i would have if i would have known i would have taken that detour <laughs> come back <laughs> we probably, my wife loved it there um i she takes me to beaches kicking and screaming um <laughs> So I'm probably due for caving in on an Outer Banks trip again within the next couple of years. <laughs> did y'all did y'all go to Ocracoke? Yeah, we did. Oh, love and you know they have a brewery now, and it is amazing. There was it was um, it's like seventeen something, right? Seventeen. Yeah, it, yep. they they wow. had. Your memory's not atrocious. <laughs> they had um maybe opened the year prior to when okay. we were there. And okay. yes, I, I was surprised at how good it was because in my mind it was going to be like a a tourist trap type place, not right. an actual legitimate quality okay. brewery. But it was it was a really good beer. Yeah, excellent beer. They have a Mexican chocolate stout that's just amazing. Yeah, I I don't remember. I had like their IPAs and all their normal stuff, and it was every, all of it was really well made, really good. But Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And I definitely hope to be able to actually, when I'm in, if I, if time permits, maybe I'll be able to swing by when I go to uh, the Raleigh Durham area um, yeah, which, next month. Which festival are you going to? It's the Barrel Culture Invitational. Right. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Yeah. You'll have a blast. Yeah. The, I, I met those guys at, um, a festival in Virginia and there, it was an awesome group. So I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch of the people that will be at that one again. Cool. 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 Thank so, you, Chris. So thank much. you. And, uh, Enjoy the rest of your week. thank you everyone for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The uncapped podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.